We're in a study called Show Us the Father. And he is showing us the wonders of the Father. The Bible is a book about God. And it teaches us wonderful things about him. And we're in Psalm 23. And uh, we've looked through Psalm 23. Uh, let me tell you what I think you ought to do. I think this would help you. Now, this is a spiritual thing I'm fixing to tell you. The Bible is alive. It's a living word. It has power in the spirit realm. I don't know if you knew that or not. But one of the smartest things a person could do is to memorize the 23rd Psalm. Memorize it. And sometime during your day when you're driving or you're laying in the bed at night, uh, sometimes people can't sleep. Don't, don't count sheep. My goodness. Just lay there and say, I want to thank you that the Lord is my shepherd. Praise God, I shall not want. Thank you for green pastures and still waters where you heal my soul. Thank you for leading me exactly where I want to be in life. Thank you that, uh, yea, though I live in North Carolina, I will fear no evil. You are right here. Your rod and staff comfort me. Thank you that you anoint my head with fresh oil. Over and over, you strengthen me. Thank you that my cup runs over. I'm going to praise you that goodness and mercy will be on top of me every day of my life. And then when you get to and say this, and when I croak, I'm coming to see you. Today we look at chapter 23, verse 6, the second half that said, last week we looked at goodness and mercy will be on me all the days of my life. Today we look at, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Something about a house. We're going to talk about my father's house today. I got to make an announcement. My father has a house and it's big and it's wonderful. All righty. The Bible is a book that tells us everything we need to know about life. It tells you where you came from. It tells you how to be married well. It'll tell you how to raise children. It'll, te- it'll teach you about business. It'll teach you about relating to people. It'll teach you about health. The Bible teaches us everything we need to know. But listen to me. This book talks a lot about eternity. Eternity. And let me tell you one of the things that surprised me about people. In po- you know, I'm a pole freak. One of the things that surprised me about people is pole after pole tells us People do not like to think about or talk about eternity. That surprised me. I, I thought people would want to talk about it. But people don't like to talk about eternity. I've talked to a, many a person, and they'll say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about it. Well, um, people say there are many opinions. No, they're not. There are two opinions. Either it is or it ain't. That's it. It's that simple, dear ones. Either there is an eternity or there's not. You can believe one of two things, and I want everybody in here to decide what you believe and what you think. You can be like Madeleine Murray O'Hare, the atheist who brought suit in 1963 to take prayer at the public schools. Her husband died shortly after that. ABC camera, ABC TV put the camera on her at the graveside. She said, that's it. He doesn't exist anymore. Everything of him is in that grave. He's like a dog. He's dead and gone. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the day I quit breathing, it's over? No conscious awareness, nothing, gone. Let me t- or you can believe this. There's something beyond that grave. The great hymn writers, Brooks and Dunn, <laughs> who said this. What'd they say? You can't tell me it all ends with a slow ride in a hearse. There's got to be more to it than this. Yeah. Well, there is, and there's so much misconception. Let me tell you, the only place you can go to learn about this from, God's Word. Right. You need to go to the Bible. And so we want to talk today. Um, if, if there is this thing called eternity or eternal life or life after death, I want to know what it's about. I'll tell you what I really want to know. How do I get there? That's real important. All righty. Before we look at it, there is some terrible misinformation out there today. Let me tell you two places it comes from about eternity. Number one is Hollywood. We got Hollywood heaven where we're all going to float around on clouds with harps, play harps. You know what I'd call a place like that? Not heaven. I ain't playing no harp. 
I'm having a harp in my hand when I get there. I'm going to be a fishing rod in my hand when I get there. And I'm not wearing a dress either. This, this thing that we painted called heaven, we got it from Hollywood, not the Bible. Let me tell you the second great problem with it. A lot of people think heaven's like church. God have mercy. No, no. Let's see what the Bible says. All right, five truths from the Bible about eternity. Number one, is there life after death? When I quit breathing, is there something out there? Turn to the great passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, I had to send my glasses off this week to get them reglazed. So that's why I look like Harry Reid this morning. <laughs> doing my senator thing today. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now the Bible's going to tell you something in a few verses here, and I want you to decide something. I believe it or I don't. I want you to decide what you believe, but what you're fixing to see here. The Bible begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 says this. For we know, stop right there. There's some things we think, wish, hope. When it comes to me and my wife and my children, I can't think and hope and wish. I got to know something here. The Bible doesn't say we hope. We wish. The Bible says we know. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt. Now watch these words. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God not made with hands eternal in the heavens. I don't think there's life after death. We know. That if this body's destroyed, and it's really not if, is it? How many 130-year-old people you know? It's when. Then listen to what the Bible says. My outer man is perishing, but my inner man is being renewed day by day. There's two parts to me. One part is my outer man, which is called, let's look at five words here in the body that describe my human body. If our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God not made with hands. Verse 2. In this we groan, early, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. The Bible gives you five words for your human body in those two verses. Here they are. House, tent, building, clothing, habitation, which is a dwelling. Let me, you know, we, let me tell you how we think about life. I see this, 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 and I say, well, there's so-and-so. I am not my body. My body is the earth bus I drive around in for a few days here. The real me is inside the body. Right, what does the Bible call my body in there? It calls it a house, a tent, and clothing. When I own a house, you can come to my house, but let me make an announcement. I am not my house. I live in the house. I own a tent. We go camping. Well, you wouldn't look at the tent and say, there's Brother Brown all spread out and nailed to the ground. Look at him there. No, that, that tent's just something I stay in. The real me's not in there. What else does it call my body? Clothing. Clothing. All right, me and Mama, Saturday I'm working around the farm and I get all dirty and nasty and we're going to go out for a big time on Saturday night. You know what that is this age, don't you? We're going to Siler City to get some ice cream, so we're going to go out big time tonight. <laughs> well, I'm not going in them old dirty clothes. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back there and I'm going to get cleaned up. I'm going to change clothes and come out with nice clothes on. Well, when I go back there, she don't sit and cry and say he died. No. <laughs> I didn't die. I just went back there to put on some nicer clothes and come back out. Listen to me. We've been taught all of our lives by what we see. We think about death as somebody gone, dying, gone. Listen to heaven's perspective. What we call dying, if you're a believer, is not a thing in the world except disappearing for a minute to change and put on some nicer clothes. That's all it is. We know that if this house is destroyed, this body's destroyed, I've got something better. And what I got waiting on me is eternal. Now, this is temporary. I don't know if you knew this or not, but physiologically, the peak of the human body is 22, 23 to about 30. 
I knew I wouldn't get amen out of that. It's about 22, 3 to 30. And then a little after 30, you don't see many 55-year-old pro football players. A little after 30 years old, all of a sudden this physical body takes a, starts taking a slow downturn. That's what it means. This, uh, my human body deteriorates. Uh, and then it starts a downward decline. Can I get a witness? Look up here. Look up here. Here's a witness. I was stout when I was 25. I was pretty too. But at about 30-some years old, the human body starts this downward decline until it eventually, it wasn't made to be permanent. This body wasn't made to be permanent. This is a temporary body. And it turns the corner at about 30, and then it starts, my outward man is perishing. But listen, there's something else. Listen to what that verse says in 2 Corinthians 4. My inward man, I've got an inward man. He's being renewed day by day. My, now, my outward man, I can't pick up the weight I could used to. I can't run like I could used to. My outward man is perishing. But my inward man is stronger than he's ever been. That's the real me. Let me tell you what that inward man is according to the Bible. That's your heart, your mind, your intellect, your emotions, your will, or we'd call it your personality. There's something inside of your body. That's you. You're not your body. And uh, <clears throat> body going downhill a little bit, but my inward man. If people wonder, where's my heart at? Is it right here in my chest? Are right, there three words in the Bible that are the same exact thing? Heart, spirit, inner man. Those three things all refer to the same thing. Your heart, your spirit, your inner man. If you were to see my inner man that's inside me right here, if you were to watch him walk off, you'd say he's a full man that looks just like me. You have an inner man. We learned this from Acts chapter 11 where Simon was in jail. The church was praying for him. An angel came and released him out of jail. He went to the house they were praying, knocked on the door. A little girl came, wrote, named Rhoda came and looked and it was him. And the Bible said she thought she saw his spirit. But it wasn't his spirit, it was him. So that tells us that your spirit looks just like you do. That's why it's called an inner man. Well, if my outer man perishes, and it will, my inner man is being renewed day by day. So the Bible said there's a permanent. Let's go a little further here. Verse four. Uh, well, let's read verse three. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Can you not see from that verse that to lose this body is simply like taking clothes off? The we is not my body. The we is the real me. Verse four. We who are in this tent, that calls you a tent, groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. What does he mean unclothed? We don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. But be further clothed that this mortal body might be swallowed up by life. Yes. You know what verse just 4 just said? If you knew the truth, you would want to get out of this one into the next one because it's better. Amen. I don't want to die. I want to see the new body, right. which is immortal. All right. Now, let me tell you something from Scripture. How many of you believe that God Almighty created you? Either he created you or you're an accident. I mean, either you're just the product of biology or, or he created you. Listen to what the Bible said. Before I knit you in the womb, I knew you. He predestined you before time began. He determined the day you'd be born and the place you'd be born. He created you on purpose. But what's the purpose? Now listen to what the Bible's fixing to teach us right here. I was not created for this earth. Now, this is temporary. I'm here. I go through this earth. But I was primarily created for something else. Read verse 5 with me. He who has prepared or created us for this very thing is God. What does that tell me? I wasn't really created for life on this planet. I was really created for life on another planet, a new earth that's eternal. And look what verse 5 also says. And he's given you a guarantee that this is true. What's the guarantee? It's the Spirit of God. He's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Used to be an old song says, every time I feel the Spirit move within me. Has anybody here ever felt the Spirit of God right here? 
What does verse 5 say? That's him guaranteeing you that there's more to this life than just what you've got on this planet. That's him guaranteeing that you're an eternal person. Now, I've had people intellectually argue with me and say, I don't believe that junk. That's just stuff preachers tell people to settle them down at funeral homes. And I'll, I'll just ask them, now, who are you arguing with? Me or your own heart? Listen to what the Bible said in Ecclesiastes. God has set eternity in their hearts. You may disagree with it intellectually, but something down here says, there got to be more to it in just a few years on this planet. There is. The spirit in my heart bears witness that there is. So the Bible said, I get a new body. I want you to change the way you see death, quote death from now on. I want you to see it as they just, they just went to change clothes. Look at it different. All right, my dad died last April. Uh, he was 92 years old. 92 is a long life. I'll sign off on that right now. That's a long time. My mother died a year before, two years before that on Mother's Day. She was 87. And uh, I've never grieved my parents' death one bit. I didn't feel the least bit of pain for them. Nothing but thanksgiving and praise. Because, you know, when you got dementia and you're laying in a hospital bed as my mother was, to depart, Philippians chapter 1, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Now, selfishly, I miss them. But every time I think about it, I think about what must they be doing today? How wonderful it is to get out of that old disease-wracked body and get a brand new body and see the face of Jesus and start all over. That's not preacher talk. This is reality. This is the truth of the Father. All right. The Bible teaches it very real. Now, listen to me. I want you to see it from now. It's just changing clothes. And let me talk to you about your new body for a minute. Since you're going to be driving it for a long time, can I talk to you about it? The Bible says that you're going to get a new body and it's going to be different. And it's going to be just like Jesus' resurrected body. I want you to look at that with me. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. A few pages to the right from 2 Corinthians. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 3. Look what this says. All right, y'all read fast. Got a lot of ground to cover. Verse 20. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, some people call it heaven. I call it the new earth. Because that's really what the Bible calls it more often. It doesn't matter what you call it, just get there. All right, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body. Why does he call this body a lowly body? He's not being unkind, it's just this body's weak. You don't believe, some of you dudes still doing like this right here. Some of you stout young guys, I used to be like that. Let that corona bug jump on you and see how stout you are. This body's weak, it's susceptible to disease and injury and whatnot. He will transform our lowly body, verse 21, that it may be conformed to what? His glorious body. His glorious body. Now listen to me. I don't know if you knew this or not. Jesus was nailed to a, Jesus borrowed a human body. God borrowed a human body for a few years. Walked on this earth, showed us the beauty of God. Wicked men took him, nailed him to a cross by God's design. That, that human body died on that cross. He didn't pass out as some scholars say. He died. They took that body off that cross. They put it in a grave. That body did not come out of that grave. Another body came out of that grave. It came out different. Look this up sometime. John chapter 20 verses 11 through 16. Mary was standing at the tomb weeping. And Jesus came up to her and he said, why are you weeping? And she said to him, supposing he was the gardener. She said, wherever you've taken Jesus to, tell me and I'll go get him. Why didn't she recognize him? The same body that went in that grave didn't come back out. He went in there, a human body. He came out, a glorified body. And then he spoke to her and he said, Mary. She knew who he was when she heard him say her name. 
And all of a sudden she realized that's him. He's just got a different body on. He had a glorified body that's different than this human body. What the Bible said in Philippians, you're going to have the same body. It's going to be a glorified body. Let me show you something about this body. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is a picture of where we see what our new bodies will look like. All right, Luke chapter 24, Jesus has been killed. He's resurrected. But where is all his friends at? Where are they at? They're hiding because they're scared that the same Roman authorities that killed Jesus are coming after them. These are, these, are, these are not great scholars. These are just blue collar, humble fishermen. And they're scared to death that a cruel government's going to come get, they're hiding in a room. They're scared to death. And all of a sudden, watch what happens while they're hiding in this room in Luke 24. Verse 36, as they stood, said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. They were terrified, frightened. They thought they'd seen a spirit or ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and feet. It's myself. Watch what he says. Touch me, handle me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones like you see that I have. What do he say? I'm not a ghost. What do he say to him? Come here, come here. Touch my arm. Feel the bones in my arm. Feel the flesh on my arm. He said, feel this body. That was his glorified body. It was not some kind of Casper the friendly ghost spooky thing. It's a real body with flesh and bones. It's real. What did the Bible say? That's going to be your body. He's going to transform our bodies into his glorified body, just like that. And I find this sort of humorous. And what's the next thing he said to him? Do y'all have anything to eat here? <laughs> the man just got killed, rose from the dead to save the world. And first thing he wants is something to eat. He said, y'all have anything to eat? And listen to what the Bible said. You can read it. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb and he ate it in front of them. What does that tell me? We're going to eat. That new body's got to have food. This spooky, ghosty stuff of floating around on a cloud, it's a real body with bones and flesh and you're going to eat when you get there. It's a new body. So we see clearly that it's a new body and we're going to get that if this, if this one's destroyed, there's a new one waiting. Let me throw this in also. So, well, grandma went to heaven. I can't wait to see grandma in eternity. She's not going to look like grandma. Because did you, you remember the aging process never came in until after man sinned. There's no aging in heaven. Grandma's going to be 25 years old in heaven. Surely, surely, surely you don't think for all of eternity we're going to be like this. <laughs> Hallelujah. Really? There was that new body is an eternal young body. The aging process was a result of sin. Nothing there that sin defiles. So that'll bless some of you. I'll leave this old earth bus. This old earth bus about to have a flat anyway. All right, what is it like? What's this place like? Let's see what the Bible says. Turn me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter is the great book where it talks about things to come. It also tells us about global warming. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to tell you something. This stuff is so wild. And so far out there, but what's the only, what's the only thing that matters? You got to decide, is it true or not? Is this true or is it not? And let me make an announcement. You say, well, how do you interpret that? You don't need to interpret this stuff. You just need to read it. It's not that hard to interpret. (laughs) What part of one out of one people that's born dies do you not understand, doc? (laughs) It's not hard. All right. Second Peter chapter three is where we learned this. Second Peter three. Look with me in verse seven. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Tell me, according to verse 7, what's going to happen to the earth we're sitting on right now? 
fire. Read verse 10 with me. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be what? Burned up. as global warming. Now I think we've misused our planet. We're damaging it. There's no question about that. What does the Bible say? This earth wasn't supposed to last long anyway. This is a temporary earth. Everything we're doing is temporary right now. And this earth is supposed to be burned up. Say, so, well, you haven't helped me a bit yet. Hang on. Who can remember verse 13? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, his word, look for new heavens and a what? A new earth. And tell me what it says about that new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, don't get hung up on the word righteousness like church people do. It just means a new earth where things are going to be right. Righteousness means right. right, What does the Bible say? This earth you own is temporary. It's going to burn up by fire one day. It's going to melt one day. But there's a new earth and it's going to be different. It's going to be right. All right. Let me, uh, people have asked me sort of what's it like. Can I appeal to you from 2 Corinthians 3? He's going to create a new earth. Amen or oh me. Okay, you got that. So who created this earth? The Lord Jesus did. He's going to create the next earth. Just look around at this one. Listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. The only four chapters in the Bible where you can find God's perfect will are the first two books of the Bible and the last two books of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you see a beautiful earth. Undefiled, perfect. Put man in a garden. In, in Revelation 21, 22, you see a beautiful earth and a beautiful garden again. Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 is man screwing it up and Jesus fixing it. His whole plan was to bring us back to what he planned to start with. In other words, back to the garden. All right, the Bible talks so much about it. Let me tell you some of the things the Bible says. There are going to be trees there. There are going to be flowers there. There are going to be rivers there. Can I get a witness with fish in them? There's going to be um, animals. It talks about the animals that are going to be there. It's the new earth. It's not this erythral little cloud. That's, that's from smoking too much dope. That, that's not heaven, my God. <laughs> All right, let me tell you something else. In the new earth, there's going to be occupation. I knew I wouldn't get one amen out of that. I'm not done yet. <laughs> you will have an, you'll have a job in eternity. But, hang on, you will enjoy it. We're not going to play the harp for 10,000 years. 20 minutes of that, and I'd be wanting to leave. But we're not going to do that. We have occupation in heaven. Listen to what the Bible said. Let me give you, just I'll quote him. Luke chapter 19 Listen to what the Bible said. You do not get into heaven because of what you do on this earth. You can't earn it. You get into heaven because Jesus went to the cross. Period. We're going to talk about that. But what you do with your life on this earth does determine your position in heaven. All right. You want to look that up sometime. Luke chapter 19, he said that he gave everybody assignments, uh, talents, gifts, whatever. And he said, do business till I come back. And he came back and he said, now tell me what you did with your life. We're all going to give an account of our lives. And the man said, here's what I did with my life. Listen to what he said. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. You, you handled the little things well. I will make you ruler over many things. You will be the ruler over 10 cities. So because of the way this guy handled his life, and it, it's, not, it's not whether you were a CEO or whether you were a farmer. It's the way you handled what he gave you. And he said, you can manage 10 cities. Next guy came up. He said, well done, good and faithful. You managed what I gave you well. You were faithful in the little things. You'd be ruler over five cities. 
So he's making these eternal job assignments. Let me make an announcement. I don't want to rule nothing. I have managed people all my life that I didn't pay. And you know what happens if you don't pay them, you can't tell them what to do. I've managed people all my life. I don't want to manage nothing in eternity. So I got another job coming for me in eternity. I want you to look at my job in eternity. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, one of the great prophetic pictures of eternity. And since you're going to be doing this a long time, you need to see it. Isaiah chapter 2. All right, Isaiah chapter 2 is one of those great passages that talks about what it's actually going to be like. Listen to me. Let me tell you something. It's not so much what you'll see as it is the atmosphere. It's the atmosphere of eternity. We live in an atmosphere that's strife-ridden, discouraging at times, up and down. The atmosphere of heaven is totally different. It's wonderful. But in Isaiah chapter 2, it says this, Isaiah 2, 2. It shall come to pass in the what? Latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills. It's talking about, this is talking about eternity. All nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, all right? Mountain of the Lord is another Bible term for what we call heaven or the new earth. To the house of God, of Jacob, the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. What does that tell me? Everybody in the new earth will honor him and we'll walk in the ways of righteousness. In other words, we're going to love him and love each other. We get there. Out of Zion shall go forth the law. Verse four, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. Watch these words. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So what does it tell us? All the strife's gone out of the earth. No, nations will not battle anymore. Nations will flow together to the house of God. And there'll be no... Now tell me what the Bible says is not going to be there. What will we not... There's going to be industry in the new earth. What will we not make in the new earth? Weapons of war. No more swords. No more spears. You know, no more Black Hawk helicopters. No more aircraft carriers. But instead, what is going to be manufactured in heaven? What does it say? They will beat, they will manufacture their swords into plowshares. You know what a plowshare is? It's a plow. Their spear, instead of spears, instead of instruments of war, we're going to make instruments of agriculture. Guess why you have to have plows in the new earth? Remember the food you got to eat? You're going to grow it. Somebody's going to grow up. That's my job. I don't want to manage no cities. I've managed all I want to manage. I'm going to be a farmer in eternity. And my son, he got a degree in agriculture. I hope we get to farm together. That's what I want to do for all of eternity. And the Bible says it's going to be plows. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us what we're going to pull them plows with. (laughs) Whether we'll have horses. I know there'll be horses there. I can show you that in Revelation. Or whether there'll be tractors. I have no idea. But I do know this. I do know this. Praise God, I know this. If there's tractors in heaven, they will be painted green. Can I get a John Deere? Amen. (laughs) Can I get a witness? All right. Here's the deal. There's some things we don't know, but what he does show us, we do know. You're not going to sit around and play a harp. You're going to be involved in things. Let me show you some more jobs. You can pick yours out. Turn (laughs) turn with me to Isaiah 65. You see, I don't think you can pick your job out. What do you think he means? I will give you the desires of your heart. All right, Isaiah 65 is the great, one of those great passages that talks about things, sort of surprising of the things that go on there. But here's what I want you to see. The spirit of the place, the atmosphere of the place. All right, Isaiah 65, you got that? Let's look in verse 17. Behold, I create new heavens and a what? I'm telling you there's a new earth coming. 
I, this over and over in the Bible, it talks about a new earth. Now watch this. I create new heavens and new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. You will not remember the bad things from down here. The pain of this life will be erased. It won't come to mind. Now, don't relax. You will know people, but you're not going to remember the bad stuff. When the Bible describes the new earth in Revelation 21, what's the first thing he says he's going to do? Does anybody know? Revelation 21, 4. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no pain there. There'll be no painful memories. You won't, you say, I don't understand how we can do that. I don't either. But I believe what the man says. This place starting to look pretty good, isn't it? All right, let's read a little bit further here. It will never, they won't look back and won't come to mind. Look at verse 18. I love this. Be, be serious and religious forever. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. I create Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is a city in Israel right now, but Jerusalem is another Bible name for the new earth. I create Jerusalem, a what? A rejoicing, her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping will no longer be heard in her, nor the verse of crying. Look at those two verses. Heaven is a blast. There's no weeping. There's no crying. What's the word used over and over? Joy, joy, joy. It's a rejoicing. It's joy. Listen to Psalm 16, excuse me, 1911. 1611. It's, it's in the neighborhood. Drive around. Psalm 1611. <laughs> in thy presence is fullness of joy. Dude, the, when you get to heaven, you say, oh, I can't wait to see streets of gold. You're not even going to look down there. You know why heaven's streets are paved with gold? To show us how goofed up we are. What we worship, they walk on. Right. It's no big deal. They use it for asphalt. Right. The thing about heaven is not what you'll see, it's what you'll feel. A joy indescribable and full of glory. Amen. All the time. No weeping, no pain, no sadness. It just, I create Jerusalem a joy. Read a little bit further with me. Verse 21. They shall build houses and live in them. So tell me what else we're going to do there. Carpenters, contractors, you know, Listen, preachers don't build houses. They don't know how. Somebody's going to build houses. They're going to live in them. This will bless some of you. Read this. Verse 21b. They shall plant vineyards. Some of you have been wondering if there's going to be wine in heaven. There it is right there. <laughs> and I, my Baptist friends just curled up on me. <laughs> the Lord Jesus himself said in the book of Luke, I will not drink wine again until I drink it in the house of my father with you. There was a, it's a new earth. It's just perfected. Everything that's here will be there perfect. Verse 23, they will not labor in vain. Boy, I love that. You're not going to waste anything. Nothing will be wasted in eternity. Everything will count for something. They will not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 25 with me. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion and the ox, uh, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. All right, what does that tell me right there? The enmity in the animal kingdom will disappear. There was no enmity between animals. You didn't have the law of tooth and claw. Animals didn't eat each other and fight each other till man sinned. God didn't create animals to hurt each other. But in the new earth, animals are all at peace again. Now, don't you notice something he said? This is sort of unusual. He said the lion's going to start eating straw. Lions do not eat grass. Lions eat living things right now. That was the fall of mankind. That's the enmity of sin. But in the new earth, every animal feeds on grass. There's no... listen. 10,000 years, no unkind word. 10,000 years, no unkind thought. It simply can't exist in the presence of God. It just can't. 
We, it's hard to grasp the wonder of what he's done. Look at these words, verse 25. Last part. They shall not hurt nor destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Nothing that damages. Not a word, not a thought. Nothing that's there. Let me show you one more in Isaiah. Turn with me to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is another great prophecy about the new earth. Read this with me. How many of you girls don't like snakes? Watch this. How many of you are, are afraid of snakes? I like to act tough, but I'm going to tell you something. I have picked the pace up with snakes a few times. I don't mind handling them if they're not poisonous. I'll pick one up, but I'm bow hunting into you Harriers a while back. And I'm walking, had my bow in my hand, looked down, and I was about to put my foot on a, on a, uh, not, not a diamondback, a uh, western rattlesnake right there in front of me. About, about as big as my arm, five foot long. He's, he's grown since this happened. About five foot long. <laughs> it's been said, white men can't jump. One did that day, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I look like I left from NASA. I went straight up in the air. I hope ain't no game wardens in here. I shot him five times with my pistol. I know you're not supposed to carry one when you're in there, but, and then I beat him with a stick for a while. I've got his rattlers on my desk right now. He will, what's the Bible say? He will crush the serpent under your feet. But that, you know what that is? That's fear. I watch what this says. Isaiah chapter 11. Read with me in verse, uh, Let's put it in about verse 6, Isaiah eleven six. 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Didn't we read that? The lion shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. What does the Bible say? All the enmity is gone out of the earth. Animals don't even aggravate each other. What's this? And a little child shall lead them. Three-year-old goes out and grabs a lion by the mane. Takes him in the house. Look, Mom, kitty. It's, there's just... It's hard to fathom the atmosphere of heaven or eternity or the new earth as we call it. But all the enmity is gone. Look, out, look what else he says here. Verse 7, the cow and the bear will graze together. You young ones will lie down together. The lion will eat straw. We've seen that. Watch this. Verse 8, the nursing child will play by the cobra's hold. The weaned child will put his hand in the viper's den. Your five-year-old is going to come in the house one day dragging a cobra by the tail. Won't bother you a bit. You're not capable of being afraid. There's no fear. It's you, nothing can make you. You can't feel fear anymore. Do you know how much of our lives is dictated by fear? The fear of failure, the fear of what people think, the fear of rejection. Our lives are dictated by fear today. In the new earth, fear cannot exist in the presence of God. There's no fear. I mean, you pick up a rattlesnake, you'll just think he's cute or, or whatever. All right, that, verse 9. They shall not destroy nor hurt in all my holy mountain. Here's why. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One of the greatest promises ever given right there. Let me tell you what eternity is. The new, or new earth. Have you ever like felt God draw close to you before? Maybe in a song, worship, or prayer, like the sweet spirit of God. Listen to me. Multiply that 10,000 times and it never stops. The presence of God will so saturate the atmosphere with the love and the joy and the peace and the hope. of It's just like you can touch it. It's in the air everywhere you go for eternity. That's why nothing can exist that's not of him. It's just, well, you, it's, hard, it's hard to fathom, but it's wonderful. All right, let me tell you something. God wants you to know about this stuff. He wants you to know about this stuff. Matter of fact, turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Last page of the Bible. Turn to the last page of your Bible. 
Revelation 21. Look what he says. He wants you to know about this stuff. I'm knocking on door. I used to knock on doors when I was a young preacher, walk around neighborhoods, just meet people. And a lady got on me one day and said, how come you preachers don't ever go to the country club? I said, all right, I'll go to the country club. So I went over there. And the first door I knocked on, man came to the door and he was, he was big, a great big old house. And I said, I'm out just, I'm such and such. I'm talking to people about Jesus and whatnot. And I said, do you know for certain that you'd go to heaven? And he just laughed. He didn't laugh at me. He just sort of chuckled. He said, young man, nobody can know these things. He was in his 50s. I'm in my 20s. He said, nobody can know these things. Look right here. Your father wants you to know these things. I went to the second house. <laughs> this is, I found out why preachers don't go to country clubs. <laughs> I went to the second house, walked inside the three-bay garage, thought I was ringing the doorbell, but it was the garage closer. <laughs> and I'm inside. Great. Gonna get arrested. So I went and dove under the door before it got down. I didn't go to the trailer. I mean, I didn't go to the country clubs no more. I'm done out there. But listen to what, listen, listen to what he says right here. Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a what? A new earth. This is the revelation of God. The first earth had heaven and the first earth had done what? I'm telling you, this earth is going to be gone one day. And there's a new earth coming in its place. I saw the holy city. The father comes down. He dwells with them. Look at verse four. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more death. No sorrow. No crying. No more pain. I don't think that's talking about arthritis and that type thing. Most of the pain that we suffer is not physical. Heart pain. It's from broken relationships, failed dreams, stupid mistakes. The pain we feel, this nation's full of pain right now. In that new place, there'll be no pain. Just don't exist. Gone. Because I make all things new. Now, listen, you need to learn verse 5. Then he who what? Sat on the throne. Let me make an announcement. There is a throne. There's a throne running the shots in this universe. The Democrats don't sit on it. The Republicans don't sit on it. And the devil don't sit on it. God Almighty sits on the throne. I'm telling you, he's sitting on his throne. He who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And then he said, what? Write a book and send it to my people. I'm going to make everything new. Why do you say write a book and send it to my people? Because I want my people to know what I'm doing. I want my folks to know what I'm doing. That's why we have his book. And we've been, we've been blessed with it. Let me, let me answer one more question. I've been asked this no few times about eternity or heaven or whatever you want to call it. Will I know my loved ones in heaven? That's a strange question to me. Our God is a family God. Family is the first thing he ever created. Of course you'll know your loved ones in heaven. My goodness. Matter of fact, let me show it to you in case you need to know this or show somebody. Turn a bit to 1 Thessalonians. That, that can be a little tough to find. If you find it, come find it for me. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians. If you see 1 and 2 Timothy, go back. You went a little too far. 1 Thessalonians. All righty. That, that's right. It's page 1040. I'm sorry. Well, I know my loved ones. I was looking out at the early service this morning, and I saw people, women, whose husbands I'd buried in the 20 years I've been here. What's dearest to our hearts besides Jesus? Our families. I want you to listen to Jesus talk right here. Verse 13, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who, what does the Bible say? Does it say they died? No, that's how we say it. What does the Bible say? Falling asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. Why? Lest you suffer sorrow as people who have no hope. 
I've gone into homes before. I'll never forget the first one I ever went into them, just a young preacher. The undertaker called me and said, they, a late, young woman has died. Would you take care of the family? They have no preacher. They don't go to church. I said, I will. I'll never forget. I go in that home. I sat down with the family around the kitchen table there. I've, I've never felt such darkness and hopelessness and gloom. Because that's all they had is this life. That's it. And there was nothing there. And I just remember the sadness of, that's it. It's over. And then again, I've been in places where people wept. You know, they cried because they lost loved ones, but they were rejoicing through their tears because they didn't die. They went to be with Jesus. All right, look what he says to you. I want you, don't you to be ignorant so you don't suffer. I want you to look at verse 14. If we believe, believe that Jesus died and rose again, period, right there. I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. Survey after survey tells us 80% of Americans, when asked, do not know how to get into heaven. Think about that. 80% of people don't know how to get to heaven. Survey after survey. You go to the mall, take a clipboard, ask people two questions. Do you believe there's a heaven? 90 plus percent will tell you yes. Ask them, how do you get there? 80% will give you the wrong answer. 80% of people believe you have to earn it. The number one answer given by people when you ask them, how do you get there? Here's the number one answer. I believe when you die, God takes all your works. He puts your good works on one side of the balance, your bad works on the other side. If you're good outweigh your bad, you get into heaven. That's the number one answer among people. 80% of people believe that. Can I ask you a question? If you have to earn it, what's that thing on the wall back there? If you have to earn it, why was Jesus' life wasted on the cross? And it's not about how good you are. It's about how good he is. What does the Bible say? If we believe, if we put our faith in Jesus, there's nothing except the trusting Jesus. He said, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, now let's go deep right here. God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I'm fixing to ask a deep question. Here it is. How can you bring somebody with you if they ain't with you? What does the Bible say? Where are they at? In case you're wondering, I have never buried anybody. I buried 370 earth buses that they drove around in, but then people was long gone before we ever got to the cemetery. Listen to what the Bible said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right, Jesus died on a cross, two men, one right beside him. One was a smart aleck. The other one was a wicked man. He never went to church, never gave an offering, never helped anybody. He was a minister to society. Right before he died, he looked at Jesus and said, have mercy on me. And Jesus said to that man, Today you will die and you will rot in a grave. No. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. He's been with him for 2,000 years now. You'll meet him one day if you go there. Then the Bible said that he's going to bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Let me make an announcement. Verse 15. This we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Yea or nay? You believe it? Jesus came to this earth one time as a humble baby. To humble parents, he's coming back a second time. He's not coming back as a baby. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he will rule. He's coming back. And the Bible, 270 times the Bible talks about Jesus coming back to this earth. But who's he coming back with? The Lord will bring with him. There's somebody coming with him. Watch these words. Let's look in verse 16. Uh, The Lord will descend from heaven. Look in verse 17. We who are alive and remain shall be, watch these words carefully, Caught up together with them. Who's the them? Not Jesus. Those that have gone before us. We'll be caught up to meet them first in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
First you meet them, then you meet the Lord. And then what does it say? Then shall we, who's the we? Me and the people I know that are there now. We, we shall be forever with the Lord. Hallelujah. You're going to know your loved ones in eternity. Right there it is. If your loved ones trusted Jesus, they're coming back with him. Now this is if we're still here when Jesus comes back. If not, we'll go on and we'll just meet them when we get there. What is dear to your heart? Listen, so many people try to turn this into an intellectual thing. This is not an intellectual thing. Listen to what Jesus said in the greatest passage ever about eternity. Let not your heart be troubled. This is a heart issue. You don't love your wife with your head. You love her with your heart. When you talk about your children, it's a heart issue. All right, I'm sure you know the person that I love more than any person on this earth is my sweetheart. I adore that woman. Been married 41 years. We're having a grand time. We're old now. We, you, you ain't got to impress nobody. We, I just I adore her. My joy in life is to hold her hand and kiss her right on the mouth. I love that woman. All right. But listen to me. You know what sad would be? Sometimes I just watch her when we're sitting there together at night. I, to, to look at her and know how much I love her and know there'll come a day I will never see her again. You think about that. That'd be sad to me. But you know what? That ain't going to happen. Right. Now, there may be a little period there. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, uh, this is selfish. I hope I go first. She could live without me, but I couldn't live without her. I love that woman. But you know what would really be ideal? If Jesus won't come back while we're still here, both of us just go through the gate together. You know what would really be ideal? <laughs> it's like that old Randy Travis hymn. When it comes your time and he calls you home, they can dig two graves and carve one stone because without your love, I can't go on. When it comes your time, he can call us home. We're going out together is what we're going to do together. And let me tell you something. We're going to hold hands for 10,000 years. I mean, you just don't get no better than this. I've had a many a man say to me, I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't want to talk about that stuff. And I've watched them buckle when I say to them, well, that's sad. Because your wife and your kids are going to be together forever and you're not going to be there. This is a heart issue. Let not your heart be troubled. Right. Nothing would trouble my heart more to know than the children I love, I'll never see them again. Right. Nothing trouble my heart more than to know the, the woman that I adore, I will never see her again. But you know why? You know why my heart is not troubled? We'll see them again. We'll Everybody's put their trust in Jesus. Those of you that have lost loved ones, trust the man. You know what it's probably going to be like? She's not here this morning, so I can talk ugly about her. I do everything at Mach 7. I move, man. Everything in life is fast. I fish fast. I eat fast. I drive fast. I just, I'm fast. My wife, on the other hand, enjoys the ride. It's going to be like Andy Griffith in that video waiting on a woman. I'll get a bench when I get to the other side, and I'll just wait on you. That's exactly what's going to happen. But I'm going to tell you something. You know what joy is? I got the greatest life going, and it's never going to stop. That's real joy right there. Yes, All right, let me, let's look at one more scripture and we're done. Turn with me to John chapter 14. This is the greatest passage on eternity right here. Greatest passage. All right, we looked a little bit about what it's like, what we do, what the body's going to be. But let me tell you the most important thing you need to learn about all this. John chapter 14, you'll see it in here. If you, don't, if you don't get what I'm fixing to say, everything else is wasted. Listen to this. It is important to Jesus that you be there. Right. Sure. It mean, it's important to him. Yes, sir. He wants you there. I'm going to read it to you. Let's read John chapter 14. The Bible says this, verse 1. Let not your what? Heart. 
heart be troubled. This is not about an, this is not about an intellectual debate. This is about my heart and my family and my loved ones. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, put your trust in me. Believe in me. And then the Bible says this in verse two. In my what? Father's house. There's a place called the Father's house. In my Father's house are many. All right, I don't mean, I hate to hurt your feelings, but I'm fixing to mess your Southern gospel songs up. <laughs> the Greek word there really doesn't mean mansions. It just means rooms. Uh, you know, we used to sing, I've got a mansion just over that, all that stuff. Well, I, I know I just broke your heart. I know, God Almighty, I thought it went from a mansion now I'm down to a room. Probably ain't got nothing but one naked light bulb in my cot in the corner. What's he doing to me? <laughs> I don't care if it's a pup tent as long as I'm there. I rewrote that song. I sang, I got a, I got a double wide on the hillside. How about that? That'd make everybody happy. <laughs> Dear ones, in my father's house are many, call it mansions. I don't care. Listen, look what the man said. Many mansions, rooms, whatever. And the Bible said this, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a what? Place. Does it say place? There is a place called eternity. It's a place. Right. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's a real place. And I've gone to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I'll come get you. Now watch these words. These are the greatest words in eternity. What's it all about? What's this life all about? It's found in the latter part of verse 3. So that where I am, you can be there. What do you hear right there? I hear the heart of a Savior who says, heaven won't be heaven if you're not there. Notice heaven wasn't, he didn't need to build heaven for himself. He created it as a place where you could be with him. I want you to hear the heart of God. It's, it's not about technicalities. It's about, I want you to be where I am. Yes. I want you to be with me. And it's the very heart of Jesus uh, to get us there. Let me cut through this. This planet was created for one purpose, to decide who wants to live on the next one. Right. That's the whole purpose of creation. Yes. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 and verse 10. All righty. <clears throat> Let me... Let's read just another verse or two right here. You know what the question is with so many people? Well, how do I get there? When I was a country preacher, started out as a country preacher in a little place called Peachland, North Carolina, I would drive around to the farms and visit the widows on these farms. And I'd always, I've always asked everybody, are you going? Did your husband go to heaven? Was your husband saved? Are you going? And every one of them gave me the wrong answer. Everyone, nobody ever gave me the right answer. You know what they all said to me? He was the finest man he was a deacon in the church. He was there every Sunday. That's the wrong answer. You know what the answer is? My husband put his faith in Jesus. And when I ask people, are you, are you going? So I, I'm, there's only one answer. I have trusted Jesus. One of the greatest questions ever asked is asking John 14, 4, where Jesus said, and where I'm going, and watch this, you know how to get there. Where I'm going, you know, and you know the way. Thomas asked in verse 5, Lord, we don't know the way. He said, we don't know how to get this, this place you're talking about called Father's House. We don't know how to get there. And then the greatest statement ever made in humanity is verse 6 of John 14, where Jesus said, I'm the way. Right. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Yep. It's not that complicated. <clears throat> there once heaven has a door and his name is Jesus. Yep. Heaven has a path and his name is Jesus. Heaven has a way and his name is Jesus. And what he did for you on the cross will certainly put you there. It's just, it's just the truth of all of eternity. Uh, but let me make an announcement here. We see in the Bible numerous places where people waited too late. Listen to me. You can't get there on the last day. 
I could show you many places. You can't get there on the last day. Luke 18 is a great place. You can't get there on the last day. You have to prepare beforehand to get there. Right. It's, it's too late once you get there. You, you can't wait. You've got to do it as he said it. Listen to what Jesus... We had a storm come through Florida last week. Dear friends of mine moved from right here and went down to south of Tampa. And I was texting with them to see if they did okay. And uh, you know what happened in Florida last week? A weatherman said, there's a storm coming. You better get out of Dodge. You better make preparations. People did. Listen to what Jesus said about that in Luke 16. He said, you look at the sky in the morning, you say it will be fair when it's red. You look at the sky in the evening and it's red and you say tomorrow is going to be difficult. And he said, foolish generation, you'll believe a weather report, but you won't believe the Bible and make preparations for what's coming. Listen to what Jesus said. You'll believe the weatherman that a storm's coming and you'll get out of the way, but you won't believe the Bible that a storm's coming and make preparation. Heaven's a prepared place for a prepared people. You can't get ready on the last day. You've got to get ready while you can. You've got to get ready. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're trying to scare me. Yeah. (laughs) Talk to me, Doc. Trying to scare you into the love of Jesus. Let me tell you something, Desperata. Desperata. You've been out riding them fences too long. You better let my Jesus love you before it's too late. It's permanent. One story and I'm done. Prove it by closing my book. There it is. I've heard some stories about people who went there and came back. The boy who went to heaven. I don't know if they're credible or not, but I'm going to tell you one. And I know it's credible. Uh, Later 1920s, a man named Ray Edmond and his wife went as missionaries to Paraguay. Got down there. He was 20-some years old, had a brand-new baby, loved his little wife, going to be a missionary. He'd had his training. And he goes to be a missionary in Paraguay. He contracted typhoid fever. And, you know, 1920s, there's no cure for it. It'd kill you. And he was dying. And Ray said in his own testimony, I've got it. He said, I I knew I was dying. And my wife had already made preparations. It was in the tropics. Back then, somebody dies, you bury them immediately. And he said she'd already dyed her wedding dress black. They were, matter of fact, they were planning a service. And he said, I'd gone into a comatose state. I couldn't communicate, but I could hear. And I was fully aware of what was going on, even though I couldn't communicate. And he said, all of a sudden, it came time for me to die, and I knew it. And I realized this, this is it. He said, I didn't want to die. Imagine, young wife, brand new baby. Nobody wants to leave. He said, I didn't want to die, but I didn't fear it because I knew Jesus. And he said, all of a sudden, I became very aware that all of a sudden I began to just slowly lift up out of that body and begin to go up. And he said, it's very hard to describe, but he said there was light. And he said, it was not what I saw. He said, it's what I felt. He said, I felt a love that I can only describe as being under a waterfall of liquid love. He said, I just can't describe it. And I realized I was being drawn up into the love and presence of God. And I realized that what I felt was the presence of God. And he said, I just, my soul, he said, I'd preached about it. I'd read about it, but I'd never even come close to describing it. He said, you can't describe it. And he said, this sweetness that had engulfed me, all I wanted to do was go straight to him. I was just so drawn to him. What Ray didn't know, in Massachusetts, there was a missionary conference going on at the same moment. And a missionary was speaking, you know, the people come to study missions. And the pastor who was chairman, he was deeply disturbed by the spirit of God. He got up, he said, he said, I'm going to interrupt you. You've got to stop. And he stopped the meeting and he said, Ray Edmund and his wife are in trouble. The Spirit of God's impressing me. We need to stop and pray for them right now. So everybody in that meeting got on their knees and began to pray and intercede. Ray said, I'm just moving toward this. And I just remember thinking, I never dreamed in a million years it would be this wonderful. And it's all of a sudden I stopped. And the sweetest voice I'd ever heard said to me, it's not time, you're going back. I want you to listen to what he said. This is what I thought. I don't want to go back. 
Man had a brand new wife, young baby. He said, I had gotten so close to God and I had tasted the sweetness of his presence. I did not want to go back even to my wife and child. I wanted to, I wanted to go where he was. I had tasted God's goodness. And he said, I slowly began to go back. Went back. He said, I remember I went right back into my body. Remember, spirit, inner man. Went right back into my body. He recovered from that. It, it's, he suffered the rest of his life because of it, but he did recover. Missionary for a little bit longer. Went back, got his PhD, and became the president of uh, uh, college in Chicago. Uh, nope, the other one. Uh, Wheaton. Became the president of Wheaton College, which at that time was the premier Christian college in America. He became the president and did such a wonderful job. <clears throat> About the time he became president, a young man came there to go to school. And Ray said, I saw great promise in this young man. So I took him under my wing and mentored him and loved him. And this man went on to become a well-known preacher. And he said, Ray, just the man, just his life had the most profound impact on me. His name was Billy Graham. And he mentored Billy and he went on and, and his wife said this. After that experience, he was never the same. He was never bothered by anything again the rest of his life. There was just a joy about him and a, a sweetness about him and a peace about him. It's like he just walked in the presence of God after he'd gotten that close. Well, some years later, toward the end of his life, Ray wrote a little book about his experience and some others called They Found the Secret. And it was about people who had touched God and it changed their lives. And uh, <clears throat> about the time that book came out, there was a young preacher who was just starting to preach in the mountains of North Carolina, a little tiny church. And he, by his own testimony, he said, I, I knew I was called to preach, but he said, I was just overwhelmed with the responsibility of people's lives. And he said, I, I got to, the further I went, I didn't think I could do this. And I'm really struggling, praying, you, you got to help me. I can't do this. He had some emotional problems because his father had abandoned him as a baby and he'd had a rough life. And he just struggled so much. And he would tell his wife, I, I just don't think I can do this. God's got to give me something. His wife went on a trip and she bought that little book by Ray Edmond and gave it to this young preacher and he read it and he said it was reading that book that gave me hope and I realized when I read that book, you have to abandon everything to Christ. Right. Don't be a preacher, just abandon everything to Jesus and he'll give you grace to do it. And he said, reading that book, I got on my knees, surrendered everything I had to Jesus and something happened inside of me and that preacher went on to become the most watched preacher in world history on TV. His name's Charles Stanley. But Ray had a tremendous impact on people's lives because he'd gotten that close to God and came back. I believe that's a credible story. Let me, I want to make an announcement today. You ready? There is a land that's fairer than day. And by faith, we can see it afar. And there's a father that waits over the way and he's preparing us a dwelling place there. Dear ones, it, that, this is reality. Nothing on this planet makes sense apart from heaven. 80 years, 90 years, and then you die and cease to exist. Sad for you. That, what's the use? You know what the only thing worth putting your hope in is? This is going to go on forever. People have told me, I don't want to talk about dying. <laughs> Look right here at this country preacher. Till you're ready to die, you're not ready to live. It's the reason I enjoy my life so much. What's the worst thing that can happen to me? <laughs> sudden death is sudden glory. I'm gone, Doc. I'm going over yonder. Praise God. Going to have a grand time. Going to get inside in heaven and get shot and say, what are you doing here? It's the goodness of God. Well, there isn't one thing left to do now, is there? Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you for your kindness. People have told me this sounds too good to be true. Lord Jesus, no, no man could have invented this stuff. This is too good not to be true. 
I thank you that we've heard the words of truth from your word this morning. I just couldn't, Lord Jesus, I just couldn't imagine a good life, a good education, a good job, a nice home, health, golf, fishing, nice kids. And then one day it's just all over, done, gone. I couldn't imagine that. I thank you and praise you that we don't die. Those of us that know you don't die, we just change clothes and move on over yonder. All because of the kindness of our Savior. I thank you and praise you that all of life centers around the cross. Thank you for the cross. I thank you that you suffered so we could have life. We will forever praise you. And now, Lord Jesus, I, I pray for everybody in this room. I don't know where people are at. But there's got to be somebody in this room that needs to make a decision.